Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, resilience, as I understand it, is our ability to bounce back after challenges and tough times that we face. We as adults learn to deal with challenges or at least our ability to acknowledge its existence. Children can develop the same sense of resilience at early ages. Yes, we can all agree that children need to be protected. They can also build resilience over tough times that they experience, such as starting a new school, moving to a different area, or even more serious issues such as loss and family breakdowns. To talk about her professional expertise in a child's resilience is the assistant professor at Bonn University, as well as the director of Seed of Hope Psychology in Queensland, Dr. Sher McGillivray. Thank you so much for joining me, Sher. Thank you, Dana. It's a real pleasure to be here. Now, looking into some of your research areas that you've listed out, such as well-being, resilience, intergenerational family recovery from adverse childhood experiences. In that sense of a child's well-being, what is your role in looking deeper into a child's resilience? As a psychologist, my role is, I suppose, predominantly helping the parents, helping the parents understand their, the vital Im- importance of their role mm-hmm. because we know that, uh, you know, a one week or one hour a week of therapy, <clears throat> excuse me, is not really sufficient. It's, it's not going to be enough for a child. So we, we need that family environment um, for the parents to, yeah, understand um, their child uh, resilience, well-being and to not be fearful, I think, of parenting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that their children are resilient and can overcome adversity and trauma. Children are very resilient. So, yeah, so my, my passion probably in this area of my research is working actually with parents of children to help the child. Okay. And especially when it comes to that point of what parents understand children to be and what children actually are, what's the most common point that you've noticed when it comes to a child's, a parent's understanding of a child's resilience compared to what a child can actually withstand? Yeah, I think as parents, everybody wants, you know, the best for their child. And I suppose when adversity, childhood maltreatment happens to parents' children, um, even right under their noses, we know that unfortunately, um, the latest childhood maltreatment study research that came out this year, 62.2% of Australian children have, are facing childhood maltreatment. So the statistics are very high. Most of it happens within the family. So it's very difficult for parents to cope when they when they find out this is happening to their children. Um, but even school bullying, you know, COVID, anxiety that's worsening today, I think parents are fearful. You know that I've done a bad job. I'm not. I'm not able to help my child. But 
realizing, I think, that children are resilient. And there's actually research that suggests children who go through adversity in those younger years, who can, with the help of one supportive adult, it's all it takes, is to help a child recover and, and move through life's obstacles, they're actually going to be really resilient and be able to bounce back from many challenges that children who haven't suffered adversity or trauma or challenges have. Now, that's such a great introduction to our topic today. But before we discuss it even further, I love to get to know your recommendations as well as some of your interests and passions by playing our channel's favorite and most beloved icebreaker, a little get to know you. So I'll start off with asking the first question, which is what is the most recent book that you've read? It would have to be The Hope Circuit from Martin Seligman. I've actually got his um, one of his pictures or quotes on my wall over here, and it basically says, hope. It expects that the future bad events will not be permanent, global, and uncontrollable. Rather, they will be temporary, local, and controllable. And it's basically that they've found in their brain, we actually have a hope circuit that actually overcomes that learned helplessness and, and depression that we once thought, you know, human beings were just sort of prone to, but it's actually a survival response. And if we can actually negate that with hope, um, we can actually live a really positive life and rewire all those neurons, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. So I found that really exciting. No, that's, that quote sounds actually it sums up pretty much what we see as resilience and what we see as overcoming a lot of different obstacles. So it's so great to see that there's there's a lot of different ways that we can understand it. True, very true. Now, the next question is, what is the movie that you would recommend to our viewers today? <laughs> oh, my favourite movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral. It's really old. <laughs> but I think I, I, the reason why I like it is it's, um, it's, comedy but it's about life and and our search for love and meaning um and we also have to face that adversity and tragedy of death but in that we we find hope for the the living and our families and we come to have that community and support so to me it's just a really good feel-good movie and i do like you grant yeah i i, I think i watched four weddings and funeral just for hugh grant <laughs> Now, could you name a podcast that really stands out to you? Lately, and I'm not listening to this personally myself, but I've become, I've had a real interest recently in men um, in, in terms of it's called an all good bro podcast because I've, I've recently been understanding the difficulties I think men and fathers have with conversations about mental health and well-being. And I've just found this a really helpful podcast, you know, the 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 way we build competence and character and the strength of our nation is in our families. And I feel like we really need to build up strong men. So that's my podcast of the week at the moment. No, that's, it's a very, it's very interesting to see how helpful podcasts are in sort of sharing one person's point of view or even like a group of people point of view. Yeah, totally. And I think it's just about making destigmatizing mental health, um, emotional difficulties that men, women, children are facing because it's all that silencing. And I think that is what continues intergenerational trauma, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the high rates of suicide because of the silencing that people can't talk about these sort of things. Whereas if I know women, we're very good at this, you know, we're always checking in on each other. But I think if more men and adults as teachers, educators, 
um, you know, friends or family, check in on kids, on, on young kids. I'm trying to make a big more, a bit more of an effort myself just to check in on my friends' children so that they've got a mentor and someone that they can talk to and check in on them if, if they're doing okay. Yeah, I will stand ground and say that mental health is connected to communication or lack of communication. And that will be me running down the hill and saying that for the rest of my life, because that is it's such a huge thing when we talk about mental health and we talk about the like what you said, the silencing of it, like no one really talks and says that they're not doing well or wants to be the only person in the room that says they're not doing okay. Yeah. And and we find, and I've, I've learned this from becoming a therapist, that the quickest way to someone's heart is through their wounds. You will immediately connect with someone if they're actually really authentic and it surprises me how they just open up to you straight away and share. And, and just by you listening, don't have to say anything. We have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> There's a reason for that, and we don't actually need to. We just need to be there with them, seek to understand and be curious. I tell my students, you don't need to you don't need to say anything. Just seek to understand what it's like for them. And that validation with non-judgmental, like just empathy, but no judgment, just compassionate response, actually helps people feel okay about their problems that they thought were just the worst. Or, I'm so ashamed of this. I can't talk about this. To be able to be seen and fully known, they are healed. Yep. No, I think validation is key to a lot of people um, healing themselves. And that's such a true point today. Now, who is a person that you would say that you would look up to? I would say John Maxwell. He is a, a leader, a sort of a leadership coach. And he basically talks about in life, we can be like a waterfall or a drain, it's like when you travel the world, do you go to a country and say, I want to see your best drains or do you say, I want to see the waterfalls? And, and it's like in life, transformation of people's lives comes from us being like a waterfall rather than a drain. So it's important to yeah, wake up every morning and top yourself up. It's like the parenting adage in the aeroplane, put your own mask on first so that we've got that love and life to give others around us because that's the key to life and happiness. It's actually giving and serving and elevating others greater than yourself. That is such a true point. And I've never heard of the phrase, be a waterfall rather than a drain. So that is, that is a new thing for me to hear. And I am, I am loving that already. Yeah, it's really powerful. I mean, it's quite funny, but you, you think about it, you know, and you can just see someone's energy when they walk into a room. Are they full of life? Or they, you know, because of neuroception, our bodies can sense if somebody is okay, if they're happy, if they're, you know, able to give. And if they're not, if they're in their fight or flight or they're quite anxious, our bodies actually sense that as being someone who's a bit unsafe. So we're not going to be vulnerable with them and open up to them. We'll probably close in. No, that's very true. Now, to end off the get to know you, during your ap academic pursuits, What's been one course that has really stuck to you to this day? Doing my master's. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of master's students starting here today, um, but it was a refining process. You sort of go through the fire, I think, of personal development. I think with any study, isn't it? Like it's quite transformative. And we know with trauma research that study is actually it's healing because you're building resilience. You're learning, you're growing, you're, you've got those pleasurable 
you know, endorphins, you're experiencing mastery. Yeah, so for me, doing my master's was probably the most life-changing, transforming. And you find out things about yourself that you didn't really want to hear or know, but to, it's a gift. I, I learned through master's that feedback is a gift. And to to see yourself through somebody else's eyes is, is a gift to you for us to then see how we might come across to different people. Yeah, no, I can agree. I can definitely attest to that and how it's impact. I, I finished my master's a few months ago and I can definitely feel the improvement in myself that I know has been made compared to doing a bachelor's degree. Yeah, well, congratulations. That's good. And it takes a lot of courage, you know, um, I think to look within and to be willing to change and to to grow. And it's not pleasant, is it? It's like going to the gym. Um, it's, it's a little bit painful, but it's that pushing yourself um, to the point of, not worrying about failure because, you know, I, I looked into the definition of failure recently and it actually means to deceive. Um, as I was doing push-ups at the gym like a couple of weeks ago, my trainer said, sure, keep going until you fail. I'm like, I don't want to fail. Um, but it made me, as I reflected on afterwards, it's it's not that I want to, it's a fear of failure. We often pull out just before we might fail, but maybe our greater fear is what, what would happen if I actually overcame, I became my best self. I actually, yeah, could achieve my dreams and everything. And I think that's probably where we fall short. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way of looking at it, I think. Now, we're talking about parenting today. And I know that everyone has a very different definition as to what parenting and being a parent is. So to your opinion, what do you think parenting is to you? I always like to look up the original Hebrew Greek meaning of words and I and I looked it up and it means, well, I'm going to pronounce it probably incorrectly, but genomi, so parents, it means to be born or to become. Okay. So it's really a gift, obviously having a child, but it's a gift for you that you're going to become your full potential, your full self by becoming a parent. Um, so it also, um, I was just thinking about for for fathers being a parent, it's actually quite important. Um, fathers, obviously, um, it means from which new ones are derived. So this, so so the stems will root down. It creates a crown near the parent, and it's interesting. It means one who has infused his own spirit into others, who actuates and governs their mind. So that's pretty powerful that a father has that kind of influence on a child and a mother means strong or first water, the life giver. So that's essentially our role. No, that's that's a pretty incredible way of looking at it. I've never looked up the very, the very original meaning to things. And I think that's such, it's, it really has a different meaning once you sort of put it into perspective. It does. I, I've sort of, I came across this, I, I think I learned it on a podcast, <laughs> but, and, and you will always find the answer to problems within the word and within the original meaning themselves. So for example, to fight and to battle in life, if you look up the original Hebrew Greek meaning of to fight or battle, it means lekem, which is bread, uh, bread of life. And when you look more into the meaning, it means we overcome our battles in life by kind of eating them. It's like food for giants and by facing our obstacles in life and taking them in, not avoiding them, not suppressing them, 
but sort of eating them, that's what helps us become stronger and, and win the battle. Wow, that's such a, no, that is, I'm going to start looking up the definition, the actual original definition of things now, because I'm, I can feel myself getting really attached to knowing them. Now, when it comes to being an expectant parent in their transition, what do you think that parents need to be aware of in their transition to parenthood? Yeah. The first thing I suppose that comes to mind is for parents to trust their own instinct. I know there's so many people and specialists, everyone giving you advice and your parents and their mother-in-laws, which is all wonderful, but I think trust trust yourself with with your child. Um, My dad always says, love the mother, (laughs) but then everything will be fine. So I think that's definitely an important tip. Um, And probably to mums, to look after yourself. I think as mothers, we tend to always put our children's needs first. But in, in, in hindsight and looking at the research, we know that if the mother's doing well, like if, if the mother's not anxious or distressed all the time, the child will follow suit. Um, I've, got a, I've got a new dog at the moment. She's a golden retriever Labrador and I'm having to apply these same kind of principles to try and stay calm. I'm trying to be the dog whisperer, <laughs> you know, um, to establish that connection before correction. And so I think, yeah, if parents can realise they've still got to put themselves first and then everything else will fall into place for their children. Mm-hmm. Well, that's such a great sort of um, great way of looking at things. Now, I know with I spoke a little bit about what resilience is and what my own definition to resilience is. How would you define resilience and how also would you define resilience in a child? Yeah, sure. So resilience is defined as being able to bounce back from life challenges or disruptions or paths that have happened to you or that you've taken that haven't quite turned out the way you thought. And rather than completely crumbling under the, under the pressure, it's about how can I deal with this in a positive way How can I learn from this to bring myself back to a state of homeostasis as quickly as possible? Um, So that's, and and the more that we do that, the more resilient we are, it actually strengthens us. So you stress, EU stress actually is good for us. And then we can actually cope better with other stresses in life that come along. Okay. Now, why is understanding a child's resilience important for us as parents? I think we sort of touched on this before, but for parents to understand that children are resilient and if something bad does happen to your child, that they will cope if you do. Mm-hmm. If you tell yourself that is just so terrible what's happened to my child, um, I want them to recover, but I'm never going to recover you're separating the goal and it's, it's never going to happen. So it's a lot of my research is on moral injury, which we often think about um, war veterans who have to transgress their moral compass um, in situations. Often doctors have moral injury, having to make decisions that might not have the best outcomes for people. But, you know, and I think parents also face moral injury. We have to make decisions constantly for our children that might result in not the best outcomes for our children. But if we're constantly blaming ourselves, being ashamed, thinking I'm a terrible parent, I've ruined my child's life, that's going to maintain your anxiety, depression, PTSD by up to almost 50% above and beyond the actual traumatic event itself. 
So it's really important for parents to yeah, search within, find that healing, forgiveness, be your best self because then we can help our children recover and, and be resilient. So it's, I think it's just important to understand children are resilient. And finally, just when children are broken or things happen, think about like an egg rather than us thinking, oh my goodness, my child is broken like a you know cracking egg on from the outside. It's a breakthrough. They're like a little chicken breaking through adversity and challenges in life. And we want to help kids feel that they are able to, to treat challenges, not as setbacks, but breakthroughs. What good are you going to do with this? What have you learned? Who can you connect with? Um, what have you learned about yourself? These are all opportunities for character development. You know, if, if, if I was to say to you, let's design the most perfect, confident, child in the world, what would we have to put them through for them to be resilient and to conquer and for them to reach hearts of people? Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. I kind of see it as a boiled egg then in that sense where it's like it breaks, it cracks a little bit, but there's still like that whole other side to them that that you see afterwards or you see deeper inside. That's beautiful. I love that. Perfect. Okay. Well, at least I got that right. (laughs) Now, how does resilience manifest in children? And what are some of the big indicators, almost common indicators of a resilient child? Sure. Uh, I sort of just touched on those slightly before. So a child who is connected, so they've got good relationships, probably a secure attachment with at least one of their parents or caregivers, they're connected to others, you know, and I was thinking about this all humans, with all children, um, if we're treated as if we don't matter, we we all suffer. We're, we're going to suffer some sort of psychopathology or sickness or illness because when we're living out of alignment with who we truly are, trying to please someone or we don't think we ever measure up, that's what causes distress and dis-ease in our bodies, which mm-hmm. causes psychopathologies. So the more we can treat humans like every child that they matter, they thrive. It's as really as simple as that. So connecting with yourself again first and then others with your children. So children who are resilient are connected. They're secure in their character and who they are. They are confident, um, in control. A lot of my research has found that children and parents, when you suffer from childhood adversity and trauma, the best way to help them recover and be resilient is through regaining their personal strength, which is why... Um, children thrive again if they, you know, if they're interested in surfing, take up surfing lessons, horse riding, um, painting, whatever it is, dancing, a way to express themselves and communicate through their body, through their art is, is another way to feel back in control or study, as we mentioned before. Um, the other final thing that we see in resilient kids is that they're contributors. So we help them see, I suppose, the pain and suffering in the world and what What can you do to help somebody else? Because that's going to lift them out of their funk, isn't it? Yes. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's such a, it's such an interesting thing when we talk about resilience in in children, because I know, like you were saying, everyone sort of develops that different way of managing, different way of handling things. Um, Some people go a little bit more creative than others. Some people handle their creativity as part of their resilience building. Now, I just wanted to know, are some children naturally more resilient than others or is it just a 
ongoing thing where every child is the same amount of resilience? I think, again, I mean, there's the um, genetic contextual environmental debate isn't there whether we're born genetically quite resilient but environmentally you know if we have experienced more adverse childhood experiences you know I suppose you look at twin studies one twin goes on to thrive the other goes on to to suffer and that's probably a lot of research that we do here at Bond University we're looking particularly in my research at what are the factors that build resilience in in children and parents again you know, my favorite book as a child was Anne of Green Gables, and that was probably the start of my philosophical journey. What what made Anne, an orphan who lost her parents, be able to go on to change the world and be an educator and inspire and help so many people as compared to others who go on to suffer? You know, so it's a very good question. I think the answer is definitely, I think it's sort of like what you and I said before, it comes back to communication and loving being know that you're loved and and worthy um and someone to back you I remember my my primary school teacher her name was Mrs Hughes but she said to my parents something about oh sure's going to do something amazing with her life and I'm sure she said that to every parent <laughs> but I held on to that I held on to that hope that I I was going to do something good in this world you know and it only takes one person you know, even children who are self-harming or even thinking about, you know, ending their lives, all it takes is one person to check in on them and go, well, you matter to me. And isn't that important that one person sees your value and worth? Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's it's such a big, big thing to have that one person believing you. I think I remember my year seven teacher saying that, oh, she's going to do very, she's going to do very well. She's actually going to be a really great speaker someday. Um, there's been a teacher the year before telling me that I'm not going to be anything more than a C average student. So then like to bounce back from that and hear another teacher saying something completely different was very validating. It was very, it counted all the lack of hope or lack of dreams that I had from the previous year into what is now a great and beautiful understanding as to what I can do with the world and what I can do to help the world. Well, that's such a beautiful story. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And it's just such a good reminder of the power of encouragement. Um, being a psychologist, if again, if you look up the root meaning, it means like a para, so like a paramedic. Think about like someone, you know, an amb- amber coming alongside someone to be with them until you get them to the doctor's. And in life, I think we all need to be like those carers and we come alongside people, be with them, encourage them. Um, it's like a, what do you call them, plants and you've got a stick, stake that holds them up until they're fully bloomed and grown. And that in life, that's what we do, isn't it? We help one another until we're at our best self and then we let them go and thrive. As parents, that's our goal for our children is for them to ultimately go. It's my goal for my clients and my students not to stay here and be codependent on me, but to to like what you've done, you know, living your best life from that yeah. one word of encouragement. It's awesome. Yeah. And I know that not every child sort of has the same understanding as that or the same resilience level. What are some of the signs that a child may be struggling with their lack of resilience? Yeah. So children who might be disengaging from school, socially, 
emotionally very dysregulated and we might see some of these problem behaviours. We had a teaching, all the teachers come here yesterday and we were sort of talking, I was doing a trauma-informed approach, sort of speaking to the teachers about this. But it's important to to notice and understand if these kids are struggling, that they're not just naughty kids. They There's, there's a reason. Seek to understand the reason. And, and most children will communicate, not verbally, but through their behaviour. So it's noticing, you know, and what differences, what patterns is this child sort of displaying that's sort of different to what they normally did? And how can parents sort of take that, um, take that understanding and intervene to sort of help a child build their resilience up a little bit? One of the things that I was talking to teachers, but I speak to parents about this as well. Um, so I run some parenting groups for parents of children who have experienced maltreatment. And it's really about education, I think educating them on understanding their triggers or their trauma triggers or just triggers that stress them or make them anxious and acknowledging, oh, that's just my body communicating to me that I'm feeling under threat or I'm feeling anxious, rather than always going into that primal part of your brain, that survival brain that's going to go straight into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, um, that shutdown response. It's about helping kids just being triggered. I'm going to listen to that part of my body that's communicating to me. I'm going to sit with that with some compassion, a compassionate response, and I'm going to do something, one of the seats, something creative, calming, some sort of connection, something courageous, until you've actually soothed that wound. Like trauma is a wound. So we don't ignore it. We don't hurt it any further. We want to actually tend our bodies when we're feeling distressed or anxious. So I think educating kids on how can we get them to stay in their window of tolerance, which is basically how do we get them back into that parasympathetic nervous system rather than always being in their automatic nervous system, very hypervigilant to danger and threat, but noticing because those symptoms will, will dissipate if we tend to them. We know that um, aggression, again, is because of suppression, um, repression, as much as it's helpful in the short term, like even with trauma memories, because then you can go on to school, you can go on with normal life, but suppression, it's eventually going to come up. It's like putting a lid on a pasta pot. Um, so in life, we've got to help kids. What are the two ways you can turn down your the boiling over process? Um, you know, turn down the gas or we can lift the lid. We all need five ways that we can calm ourselves down to tend ourselves, you know, and one of them might be singing, dancing, reading, cold water, um, ice packs, because that will help us regulate our body temperature. But we can't, say, for example, have a cold shower if we're driving the car. So we need to also have singing. As I know that's a way that activates my my vagus nerve and relaxes my, 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 sip, my system. Um, to bring back on my frontal lobe so that I can actually think clearly and go, you know what, that wasn't a real life and death situation. I was just triggered, calmed myself down. Now my brain's functioning again so I can now make a, a better decision and respond to the situation rather than reacting in my survival brain. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to a parent sort of coming in and reacting to a child's triggers. How do parents even know what a, their child's trigger is to begin with? 
Most parents, I suppose, would would know that it's probably going to be them saying no. <laughs> That's going to be a trigger. Um, again, because they're not feeling in control. Um, is it fighting with siblings? I mean, it's about sitting down with the child and working it, working it out. And I often say to my families in my clinic, let's sort of sit down or sit down around the family and draw up a like a family planner with um, like almost like a reward chart and and consequences. If say little Johnny does scream and hit and pit, pinch and punch his sister, um, what should the what does he think the the consequences for that should be? Not not a consequence, but what would he need to do to calm down, regulate his emotions? And then that's the sort of behaviours we want parents to start rewarding rather than just telling them off, you shouldn't be fighting with your sister because all we're doing then is telling them that anger and sadness is bad. And then a child's going to grow up thinking, well, I must be bad because I'm sad or I'm angry. Whereas these are opportunities, you know, I used to love Mr. Rogers' Um, the TV show, probably before your time, but he used to say that every emotion that is mentionable is manageable. And if we can help our kids learn that anger and sadness and frustration are all very normal, help them lean into it, how can we solve, validate um, your pain and suffering? What do you need to do so that this doesn't happen again? Or what can you learn from this? What do you want to do now? Then we help them move out of it they're actually going to have a higher level of emotional intelligence than if we yell at them or we ignore them. So don't cry about that. We want to welcome, lean in, but then lean out again. Mm -hmm. So taking that approach into consideration, how does that impact the child's overall social development? Because I think like social is a big part of a child's resilience and also a child sort of overcoming a lot of things. So how does that approach really help develop them socially? Well, I suppose we know that kids who have a higher level of emotional intelligence will be able to take more risks in relationships. They'll be able to work through challenging um, conflict resolution with others if they've been able to, to, to learn that it's okay to say no, that it's, conflict is actually good you know, because I think we sometimes do injustice to our kids when we tell them to grow up and just love everyone and just be kind to everyone except yourself because those kids are going to grow up probably not having good boundaries and they're going to be targets and probably become victims because they haven't learned their own value. We're meant to love others as we love ourselves. So, yeah, it, it all comes into play, doesn't it? Mm. Especially when it comes to, I think, the whole idea of people pleasing as an adult and that's like a big part of trying to satisfy everyone else around you in damage to yourself or thinking about others before yourself. And I remember that as a whole thing growing up, think about how it affects others first and put others first. And I was like, well, like, I'm not going to get along with everybody. Not everyone's going to get along with me. And the fact that if I have to sacrifice a little part of me to get someone to like me, then is that really who I am or is that who I want? people to know me to be yeah so I think we really use that quite often and I hear that quite often as a kid um you know try to make everybody happy trying to um don't rock the boat as a, I think I've heard too many people say that as a coping mechanism yeah 
But it's scary because, I mean, it all sounds lovely. We're, we're, we're raising generations of beautiful children who, who are loving and, and just loving others. But it's also, I think, impacting the silencing. You know, when you think about the child maltreatment that's going on within 62% of homes because kids don't want to rock the boat, you know, and they don't want to speak up um, when something bad's happening to them because everyone loves that person. I don't want to cause them any trouble. I'm going to suppress my feelings, my emotions, even if they're not safe, because a child has a greater need to attach, to survive, to people, um, even if they're, they're they're loved, but also the person that's hurting them. It's it's really confusing. So yeah, I, I think you're right. We need to be educating kids. And I always say to my clients, we're, we're, we're to be doorways, not doormats. That's not my quote, but you know, and so how can we help children be that doorway for others, but to not let people hurt them, you know, um, you know, or as parents, we're kind of like shepherds, we're providing this safe pasture for kids, we're setting boundaries of what's unsafe beyond there, but we also want to give them the freedom to go, come back when they fail, regroup, go out again. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just so much in this. Yeah, I think when it comes to when it comes to resilience, there are a lot of misconceptions that people sort of get. Are there any that you would love to address today and sort of just mention that people always get wrong when it comes to resilience? Yeah, I was sort of thinking, like we've sort of touched on this already, but we are born to be resilient and withstand challenges in life. You know, you even look at nature, look at an oyster. An oyster is for, you know, like a, sorry, a pearl. A pearl is formed inside that oyster by irritants, by insects, by just complete irritants and sand and things that gets wedged in it. But it coats it with that beautiful lacquer. Um, and that's how it becomes a pearl. So rather than coating it, you know, so in our life challenges, instead of coating all our challenges with stress and cortisol and fear, um, hate for yourself and hate for all the bad things. You know, everything bad happens to me. Why don't we code it with love, compassion? What am I? What good am I going to do with this? I can't change what's happened, but this is what I can change for the next generation or in this part of my life or for somebody else. So it's, yeah, I think it's about looking at problems, challenges, adversity as I don't know, our ability to be resilient is our human innate nature. And if we can embrace that rather than being fearful of it, we're actually going to strengthen and, and go on to flourish and thrive and in, enjoy the beautiful things of this life. Even if you're having the worst possible day, you can still go outside and still hear the birds sing. There's still yeah. good in the world. Yeah, no, I think especially for me, when I hear about resilience, when I hear about what we're supposed to be, even looking, researching about this topic today, how to bring resilience into children, there's that whole idea of resilience needing that to find a plan B, to find find something to, if you struggle in some area, you go find something somewhere else that you can thrive in. And we always forget to acknowledge the fact that it didn't work out in the first place. And that's something that I've learned as an adult and something that we don't talk about as a whole society in terms of what we're meant to be teaching children, we can, we're supposed to be teaching them the fact that it's okay, things didn't go right. 
the first time round, but you can come back and try again. Yeah. And we, I think like, especially growing up, I've never heard of the fact that you, things are okay if they didn't go your way. If you get the wrong answer wrong or answer incorrect in, in an exam or in a test, it's okay that you got that wrong. I don't think I've ever heard anyone else, another human actually say what you just said. Oh, wow. I mean, okay. I, I feel like that that needs to be a new campaign around the world that it's okay. Like failure is not the end. It's it's actually okay. It's a, it's a, it's a lesson. It's okay. My like my my favorite poem as a child was the Robert Frost uh, the road less taken. And naively as a child, I thought I'm going to take the road in life less taken, which meant I'm going to be like successful, happy. You know, <laughs> everything's going to be great. <laughs> And, and and then so and you know on path whatever I'm on P Q W um it's it's like this is the road less taken but it's the one that's been worthy that it's been worth my while that I wouldn't have found who I truly am how strong I am how much more compassionate I am for other people's suffering had I achieved my plan A I wouldn't want to be that girl. I would have been a mean girl, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's it's kind of like, yeah. I just I love what you said, and um, I I think you should do something with that. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm gonna post this at the back of the behind me and have it somewhere. I love it. I think especially when it comes to children as well, like we have that acknowledgement. See, we see their failures a lot when it comes to the them getting a grade or again, them getting a grade that's not as high as everybody else we see and we compare. And I, I get that a lot with a lot of my friends' kids where they look at the drawings, but they look at other kids' drawings as well. And it's like, you forget that if yours doesn't look like them, it's okay. It's an okay thing to even just acknowledge the fact that you did what you can and that's what your skill set is. If someone else's skill set is different, then that's that's up to them, but your skill set is here. Yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, when I was looking at love languages, um, I was doing a talk on love languages, looking at it, it just reminded me of it's important to say those words, just I love you. Not because you're a good drawer or you got an A, but I just love you, you know, mm-hmm. so that their worthiness is not based on what they do, just on them being alive and breathing and, and just that full love and acceptance of who they are. Yeah. And jumping up on that, do you have any specific strategies that parents can really implement to support their child's resilience journey and just building that up a little bit more? Yeah. Again, I always focus on the parents. Build yourself up with your own self-care. Like how can you be your best self when you walk in the door after a hard day at work? Do you need to listen to music on the way home in the car? Do you need to go via a yoga class? Um, how can you stay in your window of tolerance and nurture yourself, encourage yourself so that then you can actually give to your child as that waterfall, not a complete drain. So again, I, I sort of put the pressure back on us as, as parents to to build our child's resilience. And I think being honest, not sharing every single thing in your life with your child, but letting them, like what you say, all the failures and, and things that you've been through and what you've learned and that it's okay. Um, you know, so I think telling stories, you know, getting your parents, other family friends to share their stories, you know, because that way it normalizes life and 
our different journeys and ways to get there rather than thinking, you know, it's all about like the movie stars or on Facebook or TikTok, this is how you're happy. And and it's not. It's it's actually through the breakthroughs, <laughs> through the egg, isn't it? Where we where we've learnt resilience and become our best selves. So yeah. So looking after themselves. Um, what else for kids? I think look dealing with your own stuff. Like if you are totally irritated by your child, um, I know when they come home from school and throw their school bags down or thing, you know, not what does not what do I ask yourself? Judy Atkinson says it. It's not about not about what my child can do for me. Um, what does yeah, what does my child need from me? If they're coming home stressed every day, throwing it down, they're really upset. It's not that we want them to be better behaved or put their stuff away. You know, what do they need from me? Do they need some just some quiet time? Do they need to talk about what's going on? Um, to not link it back to you as like being a bad parent because my child's misbehaved or messy. It's like, what does my child need from me? Yeah, I think that's such a insightful way of sort of seeing seeing from your own point of view, from looking at the parent point of view, from um, taking a step back from what you want your child to do and what you want your child to react and see how you would react to it first. Yeah, I mean, and they're, they're a precious gift, you know, that we're learning about every day, you know, learning about them and helping them learn more about themselves, what their needs are, what's their personality type, you know, and if you're a complete extrovert and you've got a child who's an introvert, don't judge them as as not being like, I mean, just, I suppose, acknowledge that you're both different. So don't have those high expectations that they should be more social. They should be doing all of this stuff like you. You know, it's about understanding that there's differences in temperament and mm -hmm. coming down to their level. You know, it's all about connection before any sort of correction. It's my, one of my favorite sayings for parent. And I think just mindful parenting, being in the moment, what does my child need from me? How can I love and support them so that they know they are, are of infinite value? They can tell me anything. It doesn't matter what it is, how bad, how sad, that I will cope. I think that's the biggest thing too is for a child to know, so as a mum, that you're not always anxious, you're not always crying because then a child's going to think, well, I can't tell my mum anything bad that's going on for me because she wouldn't cope. They're not cognitively thinking that, but subconsciously they're not going to open up to you if they don't think you can cope. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to increase that suppression of a child. So the better we are as parents, the more open, like what you say, the communication is going to be. We're available. We're living in the present moment, not ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. None of them we can change. The best place to be is right here, right now with our kids. Mm -hmm. And speaking of building resilience, do you have any specific resources or apps or even tools that you would recommend for parents who are starting their journey to support the development of a child's resilience? Yes, there are plenty of resources out there. There's always a really great conference that comes every um, year, the Resilience Conference. So for parents, and they usually have all the key speakers, psychiatrists, psychologists um, speaking at those sort of children conferences. So look out for those. But online, there's digital mental health apps. There's one called Mood Mission, Smiling Minds, uh, Headspace, Brave for You. 
Um, this way up is about student wellbeing. Like there's just so many great resources out there for parents these days. Yeah, it's always good to have a little a little tool in your belt to sort of help a little bit understand, especially if you can't get to um, a therapist or a psychologist in time, or it's just little information that you need. So. Those, I really do recommend Headspace. I think Headspace is one of my favorite um, resources and it's one that we talk about so often on the show as as it's based in Australia and it's such an easy, easy access for every parent. Yeah, awesome. Now looking into some of our practices and some of your own personal practices and habits that sort of do take place. What is a practice that you do to motivate yourself to strike a balance for autonomy? For me, it's my morning routine. So I wake up naturally at about quarter to four in the morning and I will take time just to read, to reflect, um, sort of like, it's sort of like a mindfulness practice, um, like prayer, meditation, um, and research even suggests gratitude gratitude, prayer, meditation, mindfulness, if you can take that time for yourself, it actually changes our brain. Um, It actually helps us change from being so negative and threat-based, looking for threat in the world. We'll actually start, those neurons that wire together, fire together, we'll actually start looking and searching out for more positive things. We'll be more optimistic. So I think that quiet time, particularly as a mother, is really important to start that time with you for yourself, uh, reflect, gain some insight and strength for the day. And then I go off to the gym for me. Um, And exercise has always been probably, yeah, something that I didn't tack up until actually my kids were little, but it's actually given me strength because I think when you are physically stronger than what you think you were, it actually equips you to be mentally stronger when life throws you those lemons. You're like, I can handle this because I didn't actually know how strong I was. So I think both of those things are really helpful. Well, that's that's such a great, um, such both great practices, I think, to sort of put into your routine. What are some of the challenges that you do face when going about this practice? Lack of sleep with teenagers <laughs> coming and going through the night. But I think for parents, in, in, any sort of insomnia we know is is not good for us. So sleep's really important. Um, And I think just putting yourself first, rather a lot of parents think, I can't put myself first. I've got to take my kids here. I've got to go to work. I've got to do all these things. Whereas um, if you can see that as being wisdom to put yourself first, then that's really important. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that this practice has impacted your own parenting and also your perception in life? It's probably changed the way I've parented. You know, I think before becoming a psychologist, um, I didn't know all of this. And I really think psychology should be taught to parents and and to little kids in in kindy, Um, you know, but I think having that revelation of how important you are as a parent, your health, your well-being, and how that impacts a child. It's not just about us putting our children in cotton wool. Um, and wanting the best life for them. It's about, well, this is life. Um, it's what connects us, isn't it, is, is suffering and, and challenges. But being there for yourself, for your kids, surrounding yourself in a community. 
I was very blessed to, you know, grow up in a community of playgroup mums and, and we still get together without our kids. They're all grown up now. Um, you know, we got together this week on, on, on the beach together and I think that sense of community as a parent is is really important when their baby's right through to now. We all need people. No, that's very true. Now, this leads us to the next topic at hand, which is our over mic. It gives you a chance to talk about anything that you are passionate about and something that you would love our audience to maybe find more information on. So in the next last minute or so, I would love to give you the floor and just share your thoughts on what we have today. I think I will probably talk about moral injury um, because I feel like it's something when I know the research now, like if, if we transgress our own moral compass, if we live with any sort of shame, any sort of pain that we don't address, it's going to maintain our anxiety, stress, depression, you know, PTSD, which impacts our children. So I think not suppressing, dealing with, it, you know, with that kindness and compassionate response, loving kindness, meditations might help connecting authentically, like seeing a psychologist, but even speaking to your friends, men, men's group, men's shed, um, women, just, I think, connection. And I think the the older I get, the more I learn that it really is love. Love and connection are the keys to healing. And, you know, whether that's just a walk in, in nature um, because even being in nature, it synchronizes us back, slows us down into the rhythm of life rather than getting so caught up in or avoiding our self. You know, it, it gives you that time to synchronize and come back to loving all of you. Um, when Again, when you look at renewing, rebuilding, restoring your life from broken ruins, this is another area of my sort of passion when you look at the Hebrew Greek word of rest- restoration of rebuilding, it actually means to use all parts, all the broken pieces of your life. We need to rebuild our life on that loving foundation that all parts are worthy, all parts are welcome, like what you were saying with the failure. Let's let's not just push that aside. Let's, you know, it's, it's like the Japanese, is it kiragana, um, the pottery? Their philosophy is that all the broken pieces, they mend them together with gold and that's what they put out on display in their art galleries. Their brokenness is actually the, the a greater gift to the world. And I think if we can see the, a rebuilding with lovingly including all parts of our life, telling our stories to our kids without shame, we're going to be, I don't know, a happier whole version of ourself that we can then not only love our kids, but we can love other kids. We've got more energy. We've got more joy. We've got, I don't know, rather than staying stuck in the brokenness, we can rebuild our life on it. That is such a great way. And I love the idea of moral injury, just talking about opening up and talking about being truthful, being honest and letting letting yourself feel the pain. And I think that's that's such a great importance in not only healing, but I think also what we see our future to be. And we can't really see our future without seeing our past first, I think. Oh, I love that. And that's exactly what that book that I've read, the, the, the Hope Circuit, you know, even when we're doing trauma work or recovery, we, we don't just want to look back at the past, at the pain. We need to look forward 
and and there were still good good things in the past, but it's that integration between the two that's really important looking forward. So, yeah. No, and I think that's such a great way to sort of end the show and conclude a lot of the topics that we've talked about today. I think resilience is such a big thing for a child to understand, not only for a parent to understand, but also a child to know that that's what their definition of resilience is. So yeah, if there's a way that audience members would like to get in contact with you to discuss something that I probably have missed or even talk about a topic even deeper than what we discussed today. Do you have any contact information that I can give out to our audience? Sure. Uh, probably the best way to contact me, you can contact me on, on LinkedIn. So I've got my, my account there. Otherwise, they can contact me at Bond University uh, or Seed of Hope Psychology. They're welcome to send me an email at any stage be more than happy to connect with them or provide any sort of resources or materials that they might need as well and direct them. Oh, that is perfect. I'll have all that contact information down in our show notes below for easy access for all our audience. Thank you so much, Sher, for joining me on the show today and for really talking about resilience in a way that I think we haven't really spoken about on the show before, especially when it comes to a child's, um, how a child benefits from resilience and how they can sort of build up themselves. So it was great to have that conversation with you. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And I, I feel like, yeah, those little pearls of wisdom that, that you planted as well, I think, you know, the more we can share and be open and communicate about the reality of life, um, good, bad, confusion, the path, the road less taken will all help out ourselves and our kids become more resilient and, and more curious and able to take those risks and chances and to, to live their best life, feeling proud of themselves that they tried again. Yes. No, I think that's the biggest, biggest takeaway that we took away from today's episode. So thank you guys so much for listening. Definitely go and check out Show's work. Go and look at some of the resources that we've listed out and I'll see you all in the next episode. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.